Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference where we help you live your faith in public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me from her home office as we are social distancing and quarantining ourselves is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Cross. Hey, Kit. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're having just as great a time at home as the rest of everyone else is. I hope that you're having a very blessed day. I'm hosting today from Minnesota Catholic Conference uh, offices in St. Paul, but I hope everyone is safe and healthy and uh, growing closer as a family and going closer, closer to our Lord during this time. You can catch the Bridge Builder program right here each week on your favorite Catholic radio station. But if you miss an episode or want to catch up on past episodes, and we've got some really good ones, just visit us at mncatholic.org slash podcast. But you can also find the Bridge Builder podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Remember that you or your company can sponsor the Bridge Builder show. Email our producer, Kit, at show at mncatholic.org. Again, that's show at mncatholic.org. Each week on The Bridge Builder, we bring you great interviews on some of the major issues impacting how we live our faith in public life. We also answer your questions in our mailbag segment, and you can email those to us again, show at mncatholic.org, or contact us on social media. And it wouldn't be The Bridge Builder if we didn't provide you with a practical way that you can start building the common good brick by brick in our bricklayer segment. In today's episode, we're discussing federal legislation impacting Catholic schools, particularly as a response to COVID-19 and what's being done to help these vital institutions. In our mailbag segment, we're covering a question about COVID-19 relief efforts that may be well-intentioned but could negatively impact students attending non-public schools. And finally, stick around for our bricklayer where we discuss details about how you can join with others nationwide to pray for our elected officials. Today we're diving into issues facing Catholic schools amid the COVID-19 crisis. We're joined on the line from Washington, D.C. by Jennifer Daniels. Jennifer is the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Associate Director for Public Policy in the Secretariat of Catholic Education. Previously, Jennifer worked as Director of Government Relations for the Archdiocese of Washington and on a host of education issues. She's also worked in the U.S. State Department and in Congress with the U.S. House of Representatives. Jennifer, thanks for all your good work in Washington, and welcome to the Bridge Builder Program. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us a little bit more about your background and how you came to work at the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. I am originally from Texas, and I originally actually grew up Baptist. I didn't grow up Catholic. And so the very beginning of the story is me attending Catholic schools as a Baptist growing up. And oh, wow. eventually, when I went to college, I converted to Catholicism. So I do credit my Catholic education with that eventual conversion 10 or so years later. So to be working at the USCCB advocating on behalf of Catholic education is just this kind of full circle blessing that only came from God's direction. It was not a part of my life plan, and God had felt really uh, blessed to be directed this way. But I did, I did major in education. I wanted to be a teacher. I was a teacher back in Texas, and but always wanted to be involved in policy and politics as well. So getting involved in education policy and education reform was the perfect marriage of those two things. And when we moved to Washington, I worked on Capitol Hill at the Education Committee and started learning more about these concepts of school choice and parental choice. And so I, my first job with Catholic education was at the Archdiocese of Washington here, where I was Director of Government Relations. 
and was able to see firsthand the impact of parental options, parental choice uh, in Catholic education and, and really come to better understand our own Catholic social teaching, which is that parents are their first educators of their child and they have these God-given rights to educate their child in the way that they see fit. Um, and being able to work at Dark Diocese of Washington gave me a firsthand experience of seeing how parental choice works, as well as seeing how federal education programs can positively impact our Catholic schools. And having that on-the-ground experience led me to this position where I'm now able to advocate on behalf of Catholic schools across the country and ensure that they have access to federal education programs, as well as working to expand parental choice programs at the state and federal level all across the country. Jennifer, what is the responsibility of the Secretariat for Catholic Education generally? I think a lot of uh, listeners might hear uh, you know, about the USCCB generally, but not have a ton of familiarity with what the various offices do and how they assist the church and, and the community. And tell us a little bit about the Secretariat and then how you interface with the lobbying efforts that the government relations team does for the USCCB. Yeah, so the Secretariat is a team of staff members that assist the bishops' committees, and we have the Committee on Catholic Education, uh, as well as the subcommittee uh, for ecclesial ministry. Um, so those committees are made up of bishops, and we report to the bishops. We represent the bishops' um, priorities and strategic priorities that come out of those committees. So we have three offices within the Secretariat. My office represents K-12 education. We have a higher ed office that works with Catholic university presidents and campus ministers. And then the Office of Ecclesial Ministry that works with lay ministries and, and faith formation of those lay ministries um, across the country. And how do you assist the bishops specifically in that role? What uh, Do you provide advice in council and then help create an agenda that then is brought forward into the legislative arena? I would say maybe it's the opposite of that. You know, the bishops are driving the agenda. The, the bishops are driving the priorities of the committee. Our current bishop is Bishop Barber out of Oakland. And, you know, he came in only last year and, and had some, some new ideas of where he wanted the committee to go. And so we take those priorities and we use that guidance as our guide on Capitol Hill. And the current, from, from my committee and my role, our current two kind of major strategic priorities involve access to federal funding or federal education programs that Catholic schools can participate in and then expansion of parental access to, to school choice programs at the federal level and, and the state level. We're speaking with Jennifer Daniels. She works in the USCCB's Secretariat for Catholic Education, where she serves as Associate Director for Public Policy. Jennifer, you mentioned school choice. Say a little bit about why you think school choice uh, is so important for children and families. It is at the heart of our, our own Catholic social teaching that parents are the first educators of their child and uh, in context of the domestic, the domestic church. Um, and when we look at education policy, there's lots of fixes or ideas that revolve around the entire state or the entire school uh, and mandates on institutions, if you will. But in reality, where, where our focus is, is on the parents being able to find the education environment that best meets the needs of their child. Um, and 
it doesn't always look the same, even in one family. You might find a family that has found a really great public school that is meeting the needs of their child, but another child has a different need. And so having the parents lead that decision is, is the heart of it. And to the extent that we, from a public policy perspective, can give more tools and more resources to parents, um, we believe that is, is the best way to empower them and allow them to, to meet the needs of their own children. What are the, some of the biggest challenges facing Catholic schools uh, today at the K-12 level, Jennifer? I work in public policy, so we are always trying to create programs that will benefit our schools. However, really what we want to prioritize is making sure our Catholic schools can stay Catholic in the midst of participating in all of those programs. So whether it's a a state school choice voucher program or whether it's participating in, you know, any of the federal education programs, we want to make sure that our Catholic schools get to stay true to their mission throughout that participation. You know, across the country, we always have had a heart for the poor and for caring for those uh, maybe that are looking to get a a different education than what their public school offers. And so we want to be able to serve as many children as possible, and these programs allow us to do that. And we have, of course, seen decline in enrollment over the past number of years. And so the way that we can keep our school strong is ensuring that there's more opportunities and more publicly funded programs to give parents, you know, that option to go to Catholic schools. Well, I think that those those programs are going to allow us to stay true to that mission to, to, to serving all income levels and allowing parents to continue to be able to choose Catholic schools if that's their choice, too. In advocacy work, uh, we know that not all legislators or public officials are Catholic. So as you go and advocate for these programs that will either that will help students in our Catholic schools, especially they're you know in pupil aid or title funding or school choice, what's your message to non-Catholic legislators or even some Catholic legislators about the importance of those programs and why they should care regardless of their faith background or uh, personal ideological convictions? Well, I think the the institution as a whole has a a very long history of producing really excellent citizens. You know, if you look at the Supreme Court, (laughs) the number of Catholics on the Supreme Court, the number of Catholics in Congress, uh, you see that we produce not just smart, good academics, but we produce really quality citizens. And that is due to the fact of our our focus on the whole child and, and the person that is created in the image of God and, and respecting all children uh, based on, you know, who they are. And that leads them to be, uh, to treat others in that way uh, and to live out the Catholic social teaching that they lived in our schools, such that they're living that way as adults as well. We've had a long history of academic success. And I think, uh, you know, there's a number of studies you can look up, but, you know, particularly in with the poor and the vulnerable, we have an ability to uh, bridge those gaps and, and allow those children to become very successful, even in the midst of personal uh, or economic struggles that they're going. We have had a long history of allowing those children to become the best that they can be and, and be successful even in the midst of any uh, setbacks that they've had. So 
I love to, we, we do our best to bring a lot of those children to Capitol Hill and allow the, the leaders to meet them and to, to see what they're doing and, and also bring them back as adults too and uh, what they've accomplished uh, after they've graduated from high school and college and, uh, and the credit that they give their Catholic education for them having the ability to then achieve their dreams. That's great, and it's uh, sometimes we have to get beyond the spreadsheets and introduce real people to uh, public <laughs> officials and decision makers to show that very practical impact. Jennifer, does the USCCB have good advocacy partners in other faith communities or other non-public school groups in Congress uh, and in Washington? Oh, absolutely. We work with our coalition partners every single day, multiple times a day. There's a a national organization called the Council for American Private Education, and they are a national umbrella group of all non-public schools. And then they also have state networks that work at the state level, which in many cases, in most cases, work really closely with our Catholic conferences in the states. So we work to be a voice on behalf of all the non-public schools together while representing the Catholic voice and the Jewish voice and the Christian voice and uh, independent schools as well. And they're 100%, um, you know, our go-to as we make decisions, we always coordinate together first. (laughs) How do you work with public school advocates and associations? Is there a, a sense of collaboration or is it more of a competitive uh, dynamic between public and private schools? Is that an inherent competition or can there be a mutually constructive relationship there? Well, I think I hear this idea of competition a lot more from opponents of school choice programs out there. You know, that's not something that we inherently feel. Our preference is for, you know, the, the parents to be making decisions based on the needs of their child versus trying to put up one institution, public or private, against each other. And if the parents have the ability to make those decisions, then they're doing it on the best interest of their child versus on the best interest of an institution. We do have a couple initiatives and federal pieces of legislation that we work closely with our public school advocates as well. And at the end of the day, any piece of legislation that we're working on, we try to just highlight the fact that, you know, all children should be equally considered as a part of this or or, or all schools in certain cases, and just make the case that, especially to state and local leaders, that, you know, you represent all children in your district or all children in your state, not just the public school children. So, you know, you need to consider your education policy ideas on behalf of all of your constituents. And they they do, that does resonate with them. They, they, they understand that um, they were elected for, for everyone, not just for a sliver of the people. So we don't go out of our way to bash any other schools or bash any other institutions. Uh, that's not really, that's not part of our advocacy. So the more we can work together, the better for sure. We're speaking with Jennifer Daniels, who's Associate Director for Public Policy and the Secretariat for Catholic Education at the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Jennifer, switching gears a little bit to the crisis at hand, COVID-19, and the recent 
federal CARES Act legislation, there was significant dollars set aside uh, for education, including non-public education. Can you say a little bit about why that request was made, the, 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 the rationale for those dollars, and uh, what those dollars can be used for and how they'll assist non-public schools? Yeah, so the CARES Act, which was the most recent bill that was passed, has a part of it, the Education Stabilization Fund, and that was a $30 billion program uh, to support education. And we did have to fight quite hard to ensure that non-public schools were included as a part of that uh, fund. And we had very uh, good leadership from our Office of Government Relations as the bill was being drafted and negotiated to ensure that non-public schools were included. And we have a term called equitable services in federal education. And so we were uh, successful in ensuring that equitable services was a part of that education stabilization fund. Um, And now the money is starting to be released right now. So We are working closely with the state and local leaders to ensure that they also understand the way the federal law was written and understand that all non-public schools can participate in the program. There's two pots of money or two funds. One goes specifically to the governors, and then the other is going to be trickling down to the local level. And so there's two opportunities there for private schools to have access to some of those funds. And, you know, the intent of this fund is to help in operation uh, of the school and of educating the the kids in these new remote and distant learning environment. Um, And, you know, all of our Catholic schools are closed because the governors closed them. So he closed all the schools, uh, rightly so, and but therefore we're having to deal with the results of that. So that was a really important argument that, you know, the schools are closed not due to our uh, not due to our choice, and so we need to make sure that we have equitable access to the funds that are available due to those closures so that we can respond for our kids in the same way that the public schools can respond. Our advocacy team here at Minnesota Catholic Conference is certainly prioritizing uh, working with our elected officials to make sure that those dollars that you just spoke about, Jennifer, uh, will in fact benefit uh, students in non-public schools. So thanks for your advocacy on that and um, uh, know of our partnership with you um, as those dollars trickle down to the state level. Uh, Jennifer, what issues are ongoing with regard to uh, the COVID-19 matter and and um, assistance for non-public education? What issues still need to be addressed that you're going to be working on going forward if there's any uh, future federal legislation that addresses the impact from COVID-19? Well, I will say with this piece of legislation, we are still waiting on guidance to come out from the Department of Education to go to the states on the implication, uh, implementation of this legislation. So it is really important for our state and local leaders to um, ensure that that guidance, uh, number one, it comes out and it is followed accurately so that the funds are applied accurately. Um, then as we're looking forward to future legislation, in Washington, uh, you know, we're calling it um, uh, phase four. And so the USCCB has put together um, a list of um, policy requests to the various committees that are working on this legislation for Catholic institutions and uh, programs, all, all, you know, all of them, not just education. Uh, so we have our own 
version of that from an education policy perspective. And one of the key focuses of the phase four request is that we're really asking for parents to have more um, ability to receive funds to supplement their child's learning. So not necessarily just for private schools, but for all parents who are trying to do this homeschooling effort uh, on their own and need more resources for things like, you know, hardware or software or connectivity, um, getting any materials that they need at home to help with their child's education. So we're looking at requesting things along the lines of, um, you know, education savings accounts or expanded uh, tax credits uh, are expanded, uh, 529, a savings account that parents already have that they might have some expanded abilities to use that in this situation, um, but really trying to do things that would help parents. And in our case, specifically with Catholic schools, you know, we do know that there are parents that can't afford tuition because they've unfortunately lost their jobs. And so to the extent that they can use that money uh, to help with their child's Catholic education, uh, that would be a great way to um, ensure the stability of our schools as well as the continuity of learning for the, the kids themselves. Jennifer, is there anything else that our listeners should know about uh, the work of your office at the USCCB or advocacy on behalf of Catholic education? Oh, wow, broad question. <laughs> <laughs> you can say anything you want then. <laughs> Well, um, I, I just, I guess I would just take the opportunity to really commend my colleagues here at the USCCB. It's been working really crazy hours, and this is a really fast-paced, uh, fluid situation, and it's also uncharted territory. It's all new for many of us, some of the things that are going on. So we're learning very, very quickly as we go. Um, and, you know, I would just want your listeners to know that everyone at the USCCB is working really, really hard with their um, greatest intention of doing everything we can to support the mission of the Catholic Church and the institutions that carry out that mission. We want them to be strong and be able to get through this uh, terrible emergency. And um, that is everyone's priority up here right now. And Jennifer, we here in Minnesota see and uh, are grateful for the good work of USCCB staff and uh, bishops on those committees at this time and really echo what you said. So much gratitude. You guys are really working hard. So thank you for your advocacy in Washington. And thank you for joining us today on The Bridge Builder. Well, thanks for having me. Greatly appreciate it. Jennifer Daniels, Associate Director for Public Policy, the Secretariat for Catholic Education at the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Thanks so much, Jennifer. God bless you. And we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Atkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to delve into our mailbag, hear what comments and questions you've been sending our way. Kit, what have you got in the mailbag segment? Yeah, today's question actually is right on topic with what we were talking about with Jennifer. So today's question was spurred on by COVID relief fund policies that took place both in our capital city of St. Paul and neighboring in Minneapolis, they put into place these policies at the start of April. And our listener says that they heard about the assistance money that was being provided to parents with school-aged children. But this listener says they're concerned that that policy requires for students to attend a public school. 
Jason, can you help us kind of unpack this, maybe bring some clarity to the issue and why, as a matter of policy, something like that's so concerning? Yeah, it's an unjust and discriminatory policy. And it's on one practical level for uh, cities and public entities where their school or public school districts are facing declining enrollment. And we know that uh, dollars into public schools follow students. And so more students enrolled, more dollars into the system. So when a school is facing declining enrollment, if it can induce uh, people to attend those schools, that's an important thing. And in Minneapolis and St. Paul, uh, those schools and, and those districts are facing declining enrollment. Now, the, there's an unfortunate misconception that uh, private schools and Catholic schools that serve uh, folks are elite institutions that have you know gobs of money and endowments and these sorts of things, when the reality is that many Catholic schools are very fragile ministries. Um, that serve uh, the poorest of the poor, low-income families who would otherwise qualify for benefit programs like the St. Paul Bridge Fund, uh, where I think the family income cap was $40,000. We actually have students, uh, low-income families, who are part of low-income families. They qualify for that otherwise, with um, uh, except that they attend a private school because of scholarships and the generosity of donors. And so uh, a number of school leaders in St. Paul wrote to the St. Paul City Council and the mayor saying that this wasn't a, the right thing to do, that they needed to remove this public school requirement, and then that was done, thankfully, so that low-income families whose children attend uh, public, non-public schools could qualify for those dollars. Unfortunately, many of the city of Minneapolis, and it's housing stability fund during this COVID crisis has not removed that requirement. So uh, there will definitely be some communications from non-public school leaders serving low-income families, especially our Catholic school leaders, about why that the policy is uh, unjust and discriminatory. We shouldn't be conditioning the receipt of public benefits uh, based on what uh, school your family chooses to attend and that suits your values. So something that we've been definitely paying attention to and assisting school leaders and their advocacy with uh, local governments on questions like that. Great. Thanks for helping us to kind of clarify that issue a little bit more. And what might you have for us in this week's bricklayer segment? As you know, we're always trying to help our listeners to lay the bricks that build the bridge between faith and public life. Well, coming up on May 7th is National Day of Prayer, and there have been a lot of uh, prayer opportunities, and whether it was Good Friday or um, other March, the March 27th Way of the Cross with Pope Francis that was so moving. So many prayer opportunities during this time of crisis, but one specifically devoted um, to our country and our nation, and I think we can really focus on our elected officials that they may make wise decisions, is the upcoming May 7th National Day of Prayer. You can prepare now for that to take some time to pray with your family uh, for your elected officials. What we're offering to the Minnesota Catholic Conference, uh, our website, mncatholic.org, um, is a prayer and you, an action alert that you can send to your, our legislators, letting them know that you're praying for them. And that's really vital at this time is to let them know that um, you're uh, there for them as a resource, but also uh, there as a prayer partner to help them do their decision well. There are very few legislators who are going to be not great, who aren't going to be grateful to receive a prayer no matter who it's coming from. So it's an important measure of support. We can't always be demanding things of legislators. We also need to be supporting them. Our legislators uh, and our governor during this time have really worked hard 
to bring bipartisan consensus uh, to the legislation that they've been passing. Something has to legislation that passes in response to COVID-19 has up till now had to have the agreement of uh, all four caucuses uh, in the legislature and then the governor as well. And so really a bipartisan approach, a collaborative approach to addressing Minnesota's problems. And that, I think, comes because our legislators here want to do the right thing. They want to be collaborative. They want to serve the public good. They need to work together to address big challenges in times of crisis. Let them know that you're praying for them on May 7th, National Day of Prayer. Whether you say a rosary, a chaplet, spend time in adoration, uh, let your legislators know you're praying for them. Again, go to our website, mncatholic.org slash action center, and click on the National Day of Prayer, prayer Action Alert, plan a, plan a prayer, uh, rosary or something with your family on May 7th. But anytime between now and May 7th, say so you can send that action alert and let your legislators know you're praying for them as part of this buildup to the May 7th National Day of Prayer. That's all the time we have today, but remember, you or your organization can become a sponsor of The Bridge Builder. Doing so will help others bring the Catholic faith into the public arena. Become a sponsor of The Bridge Builder and let listeners know you support bringing Catholic faith, the Catholic faith into public life. For specifics on opportunities, email us at show at mncatholic.org. Listeners, you too can be part of our mailbag segment. Just send any of your questions or comments to show at mncatholic.org or connect with us on social media. Finally, remember also that you can catch up on past episodes of The Bridge Builder online at mncatholic.org slash podcast or find The Bridge Builder podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for tuning in today to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Atkins, and for Kit Cross of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks for listening. Stay safe and healthy. God bless you and your families. Take care. Take care.